Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. The scripture reading today is from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 17. For you created my most inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. This is the word of God. Amen. to this uh, spring Alabama morning for an Alabama boy it is uh, hot but it is not hot as it could be so we can have those little thanks for that this is not the sermon I intended on giving this morning Uh, my intention was to do all of Psalm 139 to show you goal is to know God and the great the greatest good is to be known by God and that would be a great sermon and when I thought about doing this back in May that's what I thought I would do, but because of uh, sometimes events overtake our intended plans, I have changed this message. The Supreme Court's decision last month to overturn Roe v. Wade um, will have wide ramifications uh, for our society and for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in our country. What those ramifications will be, uh, nobody yet knows. Not fully clear. I do want to begin with this message by uh, speaking to those whose lives have been deeply impacted by abortion. First, I cannot imagine what this moment in life feels like for you. I have not faced what you have faced. But I'll tell you what I told my own daughter-in-law. Jesus Christ wants you here in the church. Jesus Christ wants you here with him. This is exactly why Jesus Christ came 
He came to lift your heavy burden and to give you rest, acceptance, love, and forgiveness. And he promises to make all things new, including this loss that you have experienced and even the condemnations you have felt. I want you to hear this from the church. He will make all sad things untrue. And if you would like to speak with someone confidentially or someone with particular wisdom in this area, I recommend our friends at Avail. Uh, Chris Whitford, who is part of our church, she's the CEO of, of that organization, and they minister to both men and women who are in the midst of this particular crisis before, during, and after. And so I recommend them to you. Also, after our service, every Sunday, not just particularly for this Sunday, we have leaders of our church, both men and women, who will stand over by the side where it says, uh, pray. And they will meet with you, talk with you, and pray with and for you. And so I encourage you to do that today. Particularly if something is said, a strikes a chord with you, and you just got to get it off your chest. The truth is, though, this moment that you and I find ourselves in impacts all of us, not just a few. I believe God has given us this historical moment to the American church to do something different than we did before. It's an opportunity to be known for valuing all of human life, not just the life in the womb. An opportunity for everyone facing an unexpected pregnancy to be known, loved, and cared for by the church no matter what decision they make. An opportunity to make the church a place where women who have had an abortion in the past find a welcoming and loving community where they can heal and move forward. Unfortunately, Psalm 139, this section, verses 13 through 17, has been used to speak of only one kind of human life. But this psalm gives us a way forward for all life to be treated with dignity and value so that we can stand with these words from Martin Luther King. There are no gradations of the image of God. God made us to live together as brothers and sisters and to respect the dignity of worth of every human. So please hear me. There is a world difference between the cultural war debate over abortion and the unimaginable decision women and sometimes men face where they often feel they have no good option to an impossible situation. The problem with this debate has always been a false choice. In this debate, people have been pitted where women and their right over their own body over against the right to life of the baby she carries. One side calls itself pro-choice and one side calls itself pro-life. It seems to me the argument centers around who matters most. And that's a false dichotomy. To use a Kellerism, 
We need a third way. And I want to affirm what each side has said that is good, what each side does that is good. But also, I want to provide critiques to both. But mostly, I want us to find a third way because we have a a reset point before us, a moment in history where we can do something different than we did before. So let me first, by affirm what is good, in the pro-choice perspective. The perspective argues that women have a fundamental right to choose what she does with her own body. This is understandable and even sympathetic when you put it into the context of the history of women's rights in our country. Do you realize it wasn't until 1920 that women had the right to vote in our country, one of the last groups in our nation ever to have a right to vote. You could argue that those 18 to 21 would say they're the very last. Women did not own land in the United States until the 1840s, and it was only in certain parts of the country. A woman in the U.S. could not get credit on her own without a a, a co-sign by a man until 1970. And you can thank Ruth Bader Ginsburg because that's what she did before she went to the Supreme Court. Mothers, until the 1970s, did not have equal custody rights to their own children. But secondly, let me commend this as well, we must be willing even those who have fought on the other side of the argument to see the very real situations and distresses the majority of women who choose abortion face. I did some research, and this is what I found. 66% of all abortions, so to almost two-thirds, are performed on African-American and Hispanic women who only represent 30% of our country. You could apply that to almost anything else, and we would say that's grotesque, a horror. 75% of those seeking abortion in the U.S. are near or below the poverty line. In fact, 50% of all abortions in the United States are performed on the poorest 12% of women in our country. 2.5% of all abortions are the result of rape, incest, or a threat to the life of the mother. In our country, and we have one of the lowest in the world, where almost a third of children that are diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. In some countries of Europe, it's nearly 90%. As you can see, there are various and troubling and sometimes devastating life situations that people face when they have an unexpected pregnancy. And these situations have become the basis for the argument why women must have the final say, whether to carry their baby to term or not. Thus, failure to address this, failure to recognize this, the complications, the hopelessnesses that people feel, leaves us little credibility when we argue for the other side. If all life has dignity, 
then why are we failing to address the terrible situations that lead women to this unimaginable choice? So let me critique. I have just two. Besides the obvious, the first one is there's a bit of dishonest language, we have to admit. In the pro-choice argument, the right of women to choose what to do with their bodies fails to include all women. You realize that half of everyone that's in a mother's womb are female in the United States, and they are left with no choice of what happened to their body. Second, I think there's a tremendous depersonalization of what is going on. The pro-choice argument uses terms like fetus and viability as if they are definitive words, as if they are two kinds of humans, and therefore two different levels of worth, those inside and those outside. In the Bible, there is no biblical word in the original language, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, for a fetus, a child inside the womb, and a child outside the womb. It's the same word. If there are really two different kinds of human beings out there, then why do the vast majority of the women who see a sonogram of their child in their womb choose to keep the child? The truth is, the heartbeat begins at 18 days old. Fingerprints at 10 weeks. Pain at 20 weeks. And from the very beginning, there are a complete uh, DNA from 23 chromosomes of the mother and 23 of the father. The truth is, this is a human being in the womb. And to them, our scripture teaches that God created us in our innermost being. He has knitted us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies were not hidden from him. His eyes saw our unformed bodies and he has ordained all of our days. How precious to us are these thoughts. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now let's take a look at the pro-life perspective. Again, I just want to affirm what is good. The argument from the pro-life perspective is that every life is born, born and unborn, has dignity and worth, and deserves life. 
and that justice demands that we stand up for the weakest among us and those without a voice in our society. And babies fit both of those categories. It is because God stands up for the cause of the weak, we should too. And the biblical pattern that we see in Scripture is that God comes to the aid of the least, the weakest, and the ignored. And if that is believed, you can see why advocating for laws to ban a practice where some life is less valued than another life is understandable. And if you can see that justice demands us that we stand up for those without a voice, then you can understand why people stand so strongly for this argument, for this child. You might even sympathize of why there was so much celebration after the Supreme Court's decision. For them, for many of us, it is a righting or wrong. But let me critique this view because it, it does bear in mind for most of us in the room. There's also a bit of dishonest language in that argument. All life has dignity and worth. But the truth is, many, if but not all, in the pro-life movement have limited their work to the unborn. Neglecting the difficult conditions limited of so many potential uh, uh, mothers that they face in life. And that once the child is here, dealing with the children once they're here. There are 420,000 children in foster care today. 8,000 in the city of New York City. We are not stepping up and caring for the children once born. Not at the level that we were fighting to end abortion. We need more foster parents. We need more adoption. We need more aftercare, particularly for single moms who keep their children. But not only is there a little bit of dishonest language, there's a little bit of hurtful language too. In our attempts to win the argument, many women have felt condemned and shamed by the church. Can we not advocate for something without condemning someone? When I think of that, I think of Jesus when he, he confronts this woman who has been caught in adultery. First, he turns his attention to the accusers, the judges, and he says to them, he who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. And they all turn and laugh. Before he said to her, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. How can we not learn that lesson in this debate? There's also a little bit of limiting language that sometimes we use in this argument. We speak of such absolutes in black and white terms, in binary ways. You're either for this, means you're against that. And if you're against that, it means you're for this. I read this week, before I read or heard the story about the Chicago little girl, um, an OBGYN was telling this story that he had a 10-year-old girl come into his office with his mother who had been gang raped by a group of guys in her neighborhood and she was pregnant. The truth is, that's rare. 
but it is also very real. And so we need to be very careful with absolutes. The truth is we need a comprehensive ethic, a womb-to-tomb moral ethic. We are in the church, have not always applied Psalm 139 comprehensively. We hear these words and we think of only one type of person. For God created our innermost being. He has knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies were not hidden from God. His eyes saw our unformed bodies and he has ordained our days. How precious are these thoughts. Yes, it means the baby in the womb. No one is arguing that it doesn't mean that. But it also includes mothers and fathers who face the heartbreaking conditions with an unexpected pregnancy. They too have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And God sees them too. Even when they make this heartbreaking and difficult decision. Psalm 139 also includes single mothers who choose to carry their babies to term, some putting them up for adoption or placed in the foster care system until they can take the child themselves. Or they decide to bring those children into those very difficult situations that they live in. And these single mothers are fearfully and wonderfully made as well. With the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it is not a time to dance on its grave. But let's see the moment as an opportunity to speak differently, to have different perspective, and to include dignity and worth for all. Particularly those who are facing life-crushing conditions. Let's make abortion unthinkable because we are the kingdom of God. This will take a, a new perspective, a new practice than those that we've had in both the pro-choice and the pro-life debate. We have an opportunity here as a church to make the invisible kingdom of God visible to the world, particularly to those who face this difficult decision. But first, let's apologize. So many Christians and churches that have carried the pro-life banner haven't always done so thoughtfully, compassionately, or consistently. And I am sorry. Many churches have failed to offer enough compassionate alternatives to the challenges that young women face, whether they keep their babies or they don't. And I am sorry. So many women have been victims of unkindness and insensitivity. Many have been hurt by Christians while going through the most difficult crises of their lives. Please hear me. I am sorry. And to those who have had an abortion, one out of every four in the United States, to those who have been made to feel dirty, as though there is no hope for you, hear me, I am sorry. That's untrue. For those who even now grieve the loss of your babies, 
my heart aches for you and I am sorry. Psalm 139 tells us, if you have made this difficult choice, God loves you, God knows you, God cares for you. That's our duty too as the church. For God created you in your innermost being. He has knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body was not hidden from God. His eyes saw your unformed body, and he has ordained all your days. Which brings me to my final thought this morning, the church, our church. We are to be a holy shelter, a haven for all who are broken by the curse. Now is not the time to dance on the grave of Roe v. Wade. We must pause our celebration and consider the human pain the plight of all those who have suffered and make a place here for all those who come and are weary and carry a heavy burden. Wouldn't it be great if a mother, married or unmarried, would feel welcomed, loved, known, and cared for, and that her needs and the needs of her child before and after its birth would be met in our church. This cannot be just a slogan where we know you, we love you, and we care for you. If we do this, then there will be mothers and fathers who are facing this heartbreaking and impossible choice about their body and their baby will never be alone because they will have us. The truth is our goal was too small in the pro-life movement. If it was to overturn Roe v. Wade, done. Now what? We must pray and work and advocate to where abortion is not just rare, but unthinkable. And it is unthinkable when there are better options and better conditions when a choice needs to be made. So today, we don't dance on graves, but we recommit our lives to the kingdom perspective in which mothers never have to choose abortion because the church is their home and haven where mothers and babies from womb to tomb are welcomed, loved, and cared for. We will address the heartbreaking and too often hopeless conditions mothers of unexpected pregnancy deal with on an everyday basis. We will step up and foster children. We will take them into our own homes until their mothers and maybe even their fathers can take them home. We will step up and empty the foster care system by adopting the 420,000 children that are in foster care. We will care for single moms who face the difficult and often daunting task of raising their children alone. 
By definition, it means they're not alone if they're in the church. If they still live alone in the church, that's not their fault. It is ours, for we are not being the church. I want to be a part of church like this, where we are not trying to win a debate, but provide a haven for all of those who are broken by the curse and to offer them hope that God will one day make all things new and one day will make up for all the losses. And until that day, we will give the least of these a home and the help that they so desperately need by the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that, first of all, it wasn't an argument to win in the first place. It was always a life to save. Whether it was from the conditions in which people lived that were so difficult and so uh, complicated and so hard that the only choices that they thought that they had a way out was this. They needed saving too. But also the millions of children that have been saved, but also the millions that have been lost. In, in that gap, we thank you that you're a sovereign, kind, caring, loving God who did not lose a soul nor a tear of the father, mother, or child. We thank you that you have called us as the church. You've given us this beautiful pattern to make sure that everyone knows that they are loved, known, and cared for, to see that there is a home, a haven, a place here on earth that we can care for you, know you, love you, provide for you. That we can work outside these walls into the society that people face these incredible odds and situations that most of us in this room don't know, have not personally experienced. Help us, Father, to minister into those situations and into those needs with your grace. And may the lives be saved for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.